Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Luke chapter number four, starting with verse number one. And stand with me for a while because this is a bit of a lengthy reading. That dash one three means I'm going all the way there, okay? So just, I can read fast, but I'll take my time. Uh, Luke chapter number four and verse number one starting. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, shewed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. In verse 8, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, least at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And can everyone say amen? Amen. Amen. Tonight I'd like to minister along this line for a little point of time. That is this, the Son of God status. The Son of God status. Hallelujah. I need your help right now. If we could go to the Lord in prayer, every mind bring into captivity, every thought in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I come to you. I'm asking, Lord, for your spirit, God, to invade this house, invade this place, invade our lives and our minds. I pray, oh God, we have lived life already, God, halfway through this week. I know, God, we come in here, Lord, with different things upon our hearts and our minds, other things begging and vying for our attention. But, Master, I pray, God, for the next 30 to 40 minutes God that heaven Lord that we could make a connection with it tonight God that you could speak into our lives speak into our spirits revive restore encourage instruct I pray God through and by your word we'll thank you for it this evening we'll give you the glory for it I pray now Lord every distraction to be minimized God that our minds would be stayed upon you to hear the word of heaven that's settled God that's firm that's established that shall not change I pray oh Lord in Jesus name that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen Amen. you may be seated this evening in the lovely name of Jesus Christ son of God status to the common man 
Jesus was nothing more than a carpenter's son. He was the son of Joseph and the son of Mary. To the majority of the population of his day, he had a natural father. He had a natural mother. To the shepherds there was given on his day of birth, greater insight was given to his identity concerning the shepherds. They knew by the tidings of the angel that this child was a savior, which is Christ the Lord. They knew him to be more than just a babe, but he was a savior. Whenever they took Jesus to the temple for the day of his dedication, his circumcision, the naming of the child taking place there, don't take all of my monitor if anybody's touching it, maybe it's just my ears, but Simeon that was there in the temple knew by the Holy Ghost, Scripture says, that he would not see his death before he seen the Lord's Christ. And whenever he seen that child and looked upon him from the encounter that he had with that Jesus Christ, he spoke, for mine eyes hath seen thy salvation. To the normal man, a child. To the shepherds, he was Christ the Lord, a savior. And then to Simeon, he was the salvation, the Lord's Christ. Anna, who likewise had served diligently in the temple of God, having been a widow for several years, had given her service, given of her time and her attention to fastings, the Bible says, and prayers that took place in the temple both night and day. Upon her encounter with seeing this Christ child, this Jesus Christ, the Bible says that she would give thanks unto God. And she spoke, the Bible says, to all people concerning this child who were looking for redemption in Israel. In other words, everybody that she spoke to, everybody that she spoke to concerning this Christ child, she said, this is the redemption of Israel. To Anna, he was redemption. Amen. To Simeon, he was, if you will, the Lord's Christ, the salvation. To the shepherds, he was the Savior. But to the normal, everyday man, he was just another man, just another boy. Can someone say amen? Yet as the shepherds would be overlooking their flock and as they told, as they began to broadcast the revelation that was given to them from the angel about this Jesus, they went far, they went wide, they did not get short in broadcasting to as many people as they would about this Christ Jesus being the Savior, Christ the Lord. And the Bible says as many people that heard this, as many people that this fell upon their ears and this revelation was shared with that they wondered at the words that the shepherds spoke how this child was a savior even Christ the Lord they wondered at the words but the Bible plainly says after that that his mother Mary though concerning all these things that were being said all these things that were being spoken how some recognized him to be redemption others recognized him to be salvation and some even a savior even just a babe the Bible says his very own mother kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Because while Anna seen him as the redemption for
for Israel. And Simeon recognized him as salvation, the Lord's Christ. And the shepherds heralded him as a savior, Christ the Lord. And most simply, most people just knew him as the carpenter's son, but not Mary. She knew just a little bit more. Because in Luke chapter one and verse 35, the scripture records, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary held and kept and pondered some things in her heart because while Anna said, I see the redemption, Mary said, I see the Son of God. While Simeon said, I see salvation, Mary was holding on to the fact she's seen the Son of God. As the Savior's just seen a Savior, as the shepherd's just seen a Savior, Mary says, I see the Son of God. While the majority of the populace of that day just seen another boy and a carpenter's son, Mary knew in her heart that was the Son of the Almighty, the only God. Some would say yes. See, just the minority of people that had any revelation seen him as someone that could redeem them, hallelujah, from their trouble, someone that could save them from their trouble, someone that could get them out of their trouble. Mary seen something more. She seen somebody that could deal with trouble, contend with trouble, challenge trouble, combat against trouble, even annihilate if needed trouble. He wasn't just a person that could save you from your trouble. He was a person that could deal with your problems and your trouble. The Son of God. Someone say hallelujah. Woo! Someone say yes. But for the most part, Mary kept these things. For the most part, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Well, everybody said who he was, what he was, what his capability would be. She knew what the angel had spoken to her. Hmm. Nobody else in the audience. Nobody else in the room. But she knew what the angel had spoke to her. Angels had told others redemption. That's great. He shall be that. But he's more than that. A savior that can get me out of where I'm at. That's right. But he's more than that. She pondered these things in her heart. It was not public knowledge. Not everybody knew this idea or this concept of him being the son of God. Most were not privy to the concept of him being the son of God. Can I even say that John the Baptist wasn't totally clued in on the fact that he was the son of God. What John did know, that he was a forerunner, that John was. What John did know is that he was going before somebody that was going to come after him that was going to be mightier than him. That's what John did know. As a matter of fact, when a group and a sect of of Levites and, and some chief rulers came into John, they asked him a question. They said, who are you? Asking John the Baptist. 
There's a reason why they were asking that because of Luke 3.15. Already along this journey, John born six months before Jesus Christ. Already along this journey, they're thinking and pondering. The Bible says all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were Christ. The Christ. So they're saying, who are you? Because they had their assumptions and their ideas that possibly this could be the Christ. But the Bible says that he plainly declared to them. He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Well, are, are, you, are, you, are you Elias? Are you, are you the prophet Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you that, that prophet? They said, he said, no. I am not the Christ. I am not. No, none of those things. Then who in the world are you? What is your purpose? How can you speak to us? What are you? And he said, I am the voice. I'm the voice. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm just the voice. And they said, well, if you are the voice, why in the world are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, why are you baptizing? Walk with me here. John chapter 1, verse number 29. The Bible says, this is the recording here in John. This is some firsthand stuff of John the Baptist. The Bible says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of of the world. John was speaking what some other folks already knew. His voice is harmonizing with him being taken away the sin of the world. He's a redeemer. He's here to take away the sin of the world. He, he's our salvation. He, he's here to take away the sin of the world just like the shepherds heard. He's the Savior. But verse 30 says this is he of whom I said, John, here's what John said, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is per preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 31, look at this now. And this is, this is a great declaration, admitting something. And I knew him not. The basis of my knowledge of him was that he would be mightier than I and that he's taken away the sins of the world. He's a savior. He's a redeemer. He's salvation. I knew him not. But, look at verse 31. But that he should be made manifest to Israel. Here he goes. He says, therefore am I come baptizing with water. He's answering their question now. You know, you want to know why I'm baptizing and I'm simply the voice? It's because I don't know the totality of who this Christ is. But God has given me a sign that if while I'm baptizing in the water, there's a spirit that descends upon him like a dove then I'll know that this is the one. And he says, this just isn't for my benefit. But I'm going to do this so that this manifestation might happen for all of Israel. He says, so I've come baptizing. I'm baptizing because I want to manifest to all Israel who this person is. And the Bible says in verse 32, and John bear record saying, here, it, here is the account now. He says, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. Look at verse 33. Here's the admittance again. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. 
The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining upon, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. At another place, John said, With fire. And in verse 34, the Bible says, John says, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. His declaration was not that he was just a redeemer or that he was still just the Lamb of God, but he says, by this I know, this is the Son of God. John says, I did not know him. Amen, I knew, amen, that I was to be, he was to be a baptizer of the Holy Ghost and a baptizer of fire. I identified him as the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, but today he has been manifested, not just to me, but to all Israel, and I stand buried record this day this is more than a savior this is more than a redeemer this is more than salvation this is the son of God Matthew said in his gospel that there was a voice from heaven that said this is my beloved son the harmony of the gospels of Luke says that there was a voice from heaven that said thou art my beloved son and so John, witnessing these things taking place in front of his eyes, he knew without doubt he could bear record and say, there was a voice from heaven that said it was so. So I can give record today that this man is certainly, without any disputing, the Son of God. Matthew would trace the genealogy of that Jesus all the way back to Abraham, father of the Jews. Luke would trace that genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam, the father of all. But Mark, not having no genealogy recorded in his scripture, amen, still emphatically states from the very onset of Mark 1 and 1, he starts his writing and says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Someone say hallelujah. I know I'm spitting far on a Wednesday night. I hope you can hang with me. <laughs> Put your lap seat in the upright positions because we're about ready to fly. On the heels, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me tonight. On the heels of this revelation, on the heels of this manifestation of this being the Son of God, who He was, on the heels of all of this, who He was, was now the unfolding of the temptation in the wilderness that I read in your hearing in the beginning tonight. Here's Jesus. He has just come from the baptism in Jordan. He is now full of the Holy Ghost, Scripture says, and He's led up the Spirit into the wilderness. And as we've all time, this is, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been in church for any time, you have read about the temptation of the wilderness or heard it taught or preached on. And oftentimes, whenever we look at this passage of Scripture, we begin to take issue with each of the temptations that the Lord went underwent. And whenever we study this passage, which is found in Matthew 4 and not coincidentally Luke 4, you can remember that easily. In each setting of the Scripture, amen, the order of the temptations are not exactly like the other. One gives them in a certain order, another gives in another order. There isn't no contradiction, just two different perspectives and how the story was told. Nevertheless, all three are still accounted for. 
And whenever we observe these, we cause ourselves to denote the three temptations. Namely being this. Temptation number one, and I'm just putting them in this order. Turn a stone into bread. Now you can understand the gravity of this, a man who has ate nothing for 40 days. The Bible says afterward he hungered. I'd hungered even before afterward. (laughs) That stone might have looked like bread at the end of 40 days to me. But he said, turn this stone to bread. Two, second, temptation. He said, worship me. The devil is doing this. Worship me, and I will give you the kingdoms of this world. Number three, observation that we normally go to is cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Because, by the way, the Bible says the angels will bear you up. There's no harm. You'll have safety and you'll have protection. And oftentimes we have underscored with each observation, with each temptation, we've oftentimes observed the rebuttal of the Lord, how he included the word of God and what the word of God said about those particular issues, how Jesus was combating the devil's tactics with the word of God. And that's great, but that is not my focus here this evening. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted for 40 days of the devil. This was not like at the end of 40 days temptation started happening, but he was being tempted for the 40 days he was fasting. Look at it there in Luke 4. And I don't know, I don't know all the particulars. I don't know if there were other specific temptations beyond the three listed that the Lord was tempted with. We don't know. It doesn't include them if that's the case. Or whether he just kept tempting him with the same three for 40 days. Regardless. I believe you agree that 40 days is a long time to be antagonized by the devil. Unrelentless. Day in and day out. Almost like clockwork. I know he's going to be back today. You know, just 40 days of nonstop agony, antagonizing temptation, problem of the enemy. On the surface, when we look at the temptations... We might say, well, these were about miracles. These were about who gets the worship. These were about safety and protection. But ladies and gentlemen, tonight at the crux of them was something more. The root of the matter extended all the way back to the knowledge that his natural mother Mary had from the beginning. The basis For every attack against the Lord in this temptation wilderness rested in the fact of this son of God status that was uttered over the waters after he had been baptized. Someone say glory. It all was twisted and somehow connected to this son of God status. It was the son of God status that was made the subject tonight, folks, of Satan's wildest attacks during that 40-day trial in the wilderness. Note the wording at different times in there. If thou be the son of God. Oh, see, the word got out of the bag at the River Jordan. Up until that time, he was the redeemer. 
Up until that time, he was salvation. He was a savior. But dynamics changed at the River Jordan. Now manifestation to all Israel was, this is the son of God. And now the devil calls a, a trial. And he says, if thou be. Someone say glory. If thou be the son of God. God. That's where it was tied to. That was the root of the matter. Yeah, on the surface, it's miracles and it's worship and it's protection. But underneath all that, he was really poking at the Son of God status. Someone say glory. And as it was then, so shall it ever be. Because I'm convinced tonight by the word of God that the devil wasn't so much concerned with the miracles. He wasn't so much concerned about the worship. He wasn't so much concerned about the protection as he was with the Son of God status. Amen. Because whenever that came about and everybody knew it, the devil knew I gotta somehow step up the game because people know him now to be more than a savior. I'm dealing with a ruler on my hand. Oh, somebody hear me right now. If he said it, thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. He said it, thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence. If thou be the, if thou be, if thou be the son of God. This is happening right before the debut of Jesus' public ministry. Amen. Right before the debut, this is happening. Hallelujah, here in the beginning. But ladies and gentlemen, it would just stop there. It would just stop there. The elders, the scribes, the chief priests that were in disbelief of his kingship, of his rulership, they would try to intimidate the son of God's status of Jesus Christ in the end of his ministry. In Matthew 27, 40, they would cry out to him as he was upon his altar of sacrifice called the cross. And they would say, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. But listen to me tonight, folks. I want you to understand something very, cru very crucial. This is the pivotal point of what I'm about ready to tell you the rest of this evening. I want you to understand why the devil cannot stand his son of God's status. I want you to understand why that made such a difference after that was manifested to all of Israel at the Jordan. Because the Bible declares in 1 John 3, 1 John 3 and verse number 8. It says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Notice this next phrase, folks. This is the apex of everything. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Not that he might save you from the works of the devil, but that he might destroy. You don't understand what I'm talking about quite yet. What got him nervous, what got him on his perch, what got him riled up is now it's just not mama that knows, but the whole nation of Israel understands and is starting to glean some knowledge that there's a man walking in shoe leather here that isn't just going to save them, but he can do the ruling over the works of the devil. 
Thank you, Sister Nadine. That's what I'm talking about. I'm a long ways from done. Listen to me. I need a drink of water. Not only is the devil, or did the devil, try to intimidate Jesus Christ's Son of God status. The devil is constantly trying to intimidate your Son of God status. First John 12. Amen. John chapter 1 that is in verse 12. The Bible says, but as many as received him. Speaking of Christ. To them gave he power. To do what? To become the sons. Sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Which were born not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. Romans 8 verse 14. For as many are led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. First John 3 verse 9. Whosoever is born of God. Doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin. Because he is born of God. That troubles hell. That troubles your adversary. That troubles your devil when you're a son of God you're perplexing his mode of operation he's discomfited because his works don't work on you they're being destroyed You know what the devil hates more than the miracles you've witnessed in your life? You know what the devil hates more than the worship that you give to God? You know what the devil hates more than your safety and your protection that's extended to you? Do you know what he hates more than your fastings? He hates your son of God status. But I got to tell somebody today that while he's chipping away at your worship, he's really trying to get to your son of God status. While he's chipping away at the miracle ability in your life, he's trying to get at your son of God status. While he's trying to remove the safety and the protections that he's placed in your life, he's really trying to get to the root of the matter, the son of God status in your life. Because if he removes that, then his evil works can have destruction and play in your life. He'll chip at it. He'll question you as he questioned Jesus. If thou be the Son of God, why is the sickness come up on your body? If you are the Son of God, why are you in financial straits? If you are the Son of God, then why are you suffering so much persecution? If you are the son of God, why is there family dysfunction? If you are the son of God, why does it seem that you're most so filled most times alone than you do rather than surrounded by the, his hands? If you are the son of God, what's he trying to do? None of those things are really, really, really uh, the, the thing that needs to be focused on. He's trying to get at your son of God stat.
But I'm here to tell this church family tonight, you don't have anything to prove to him. Hear me right now. You don't have anything to prove to him. Could have Jesus turned a stone into bread? You better believe it. Could he have fell from the pinnacle of the temple not been hurt? You better believe it. Could he worship the devil? Well, I think not because he couldn't have gave him any power that he didn't already have. You don't have anything to prove. Amen. If you've been born of God, then you receive power to become a son of God. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. You don't have to prove anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the reason why I like how First John 3, verse number 2, it starts us out. Whenever later it talks about why this Son of God, the purpose it was manifested, was for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. I like what John starts out saying in the very beginning. Verse number 2, you didn't even read it in verse number 1. But verse number 2 in particular, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I need to put that before you. I need to place that in your mind. I need to remind you of that. I need to place that in your heart. It's good every once in a while to remember who you are, that you are a son of a God. You're more than just a Christian. You're more than just Christ-like. You're just more than an attender at the First Apostolic Church. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a son of God. All those other titles and measures will by no means destroy the works of the devil. But whenever you put your foot on the simple fact that you're a son of God, that closes the deal on the matter. Yes! And the devil knows Bible. Don't think he don't. He twisted enough in the garden to show that he knew Bible and he knows what God has said. And with that being known, he knows in the book of Revelations in the end that Christ has said that we shall rule and reign with him. How is that possible? Because we're sons of God's. We're not, <laughs> we're not saviors. We're rulers. Someone say amen. John 19, verse 19. This is speaking of the time of Jesus' crucifix. The Bible says that Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross. The writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and in Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king. I love that verse. I cannot but help smile every time I read it because they, what they thought was an accident that they placed above that tree. Jesus of Nazareth, king of Jews, and one of the boys said, Hey, don't, don't say that, don't, don't say that like we're saying he's the king of the Jews. Just say that he said that he was. The pilot says, well, what I've written, I've written. Man, that was an accident. That wasn't happenstance. That was godly ordained. It said exactly what it was. He was more than the salvation, more than the redeemer, more than the savior, more than Christ the Lord. He was ruler. He was the son of God. King. Back at Luke 27, 40, whenever they cried out to him, if thou be the son of God, come down off of the cross. Let me tell you something. Coming down off the cross would not prove him to be the Son of God. Coming down off of that altar of sacrifice would not prove him to be the Son of God. That whole garbage was nothing but a ploy. 
an attack to hinder the real evidence from showing forth. Hear me right now. Because if John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, wouldn't it seem to reason then that His Son so loved it that He gave His life? And if the, if the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, if God, His Daddy gave, then don't you think the Son of God would be a giver? The Bible tells us in the New Testament scripture, speaking of the handwriting of the ordinances that were written against you and I. We had some claims written against us. We had some allegations, if you will, written against us. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren spoken of in the book of Revelation. He's there standing, accusing you day and night and oftentimes he's accusing you for things you've already been forgiven for. He's accusing you of things that grace has already covered. He's accusing you of things that mercy is already met on but he still stands there accusing why he's trying to get at your son of God's status but the handwriting of the ordinance that was written against me the Bible says they were taken out of the way being nailed to the cross ladies and gentlemen the purpose for the manifestation of the son of God was to destroy the works of the devil Take it out of the way. Take the accusation out of the way. Take the sin out of the way. Take the trouble out of the way. Take the heartache out of the way. Take the addiction out of the way. Take, 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 take. Yes, I'm a son of God. And so much was the evidence of the son of God's status Clear that in his death upon that altar of sacrifice called the cross, a centurion at the base of the cross, in Matthew 27 and verse 54, likewise in Mark 15, 39, it's reinstated there, saw the Son of God, not termed as that as yet to them, but seen Jesus cry out seeing him give up the ghost and that centurion stated from Mark 15 39 that truly this man was the son of God coming down off the cross didn't bring that revelation to the centurion staying on the cross left that I'm telling somebody as sons of God in this church tonight that it's not time for you to get off your personal altar of sacrifice it's not time for you to let go of your cross and disband it because that will not prove you to be a son of God what will bring the realization of those around you and the world that you live in is if you stay on the cross stay in the mode of stay in the mode of sacrifice then there'll be the destruction of the works of the devil hear what I said I said getting off that cross prematurely not have solidified the idea of him being the son of God. But he willfully 
losing his life by means of sacrifice sealed the deal for the centurion. Truly, this was the Son of God. Tonight, if you'll stand with me, I guess. So virtually from birth there was an unfolding and after baptism there was a nitpicking trying to subvert this son of God's status. Sister Craig, we even read in the Gospels one of the things and questions that they even posed him being on trial. Accusations are laid. Art thou the son of God? Thou sayest. I love God, man. He's awesome. He said, thou sayest. What were they doing? They're picking at a son of God's status. They're being pawns on the enemy's chessboard. Why? Because he says, man, if everybody embraces this, my works of destruction and evil don't have no power. Mm. How important was it? It wasn't this important that as they were along the area and vicinity of Caesarea Philippi with his disciples and he gives them the question, who do men say that I am? And some pipe this and some pipe that. And Peter, with his just belligerent way, just, you're not right who he is. You know, whatever. I just picture Peter. He's just outlandish and just, he has no decorum, just nothing. He just, there it is. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living. Now we could take out the living and just the son of God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. This has come from the Father. He said, by the way, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, not Peter, but upon the revelation. The revelation that he was more than a savior, more than a redeemer, more than salvation. But you're the son of God. He said, upon that rock, upon that revelation, I'll build my church. I'll give you the keys, Peter. I'll give you the keys, Peter, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be. Lord, are you saying, God, I'm saying you can bind the works of the devil because of the revelation of being a son of God. So if I can say, people admonish us this evening, stay on your cross. Take up your cross daily. In doing so, folks, we're closer to maintaining our son of God's status. If you just continue, we're closer to continuing the destruction of the works of the devil. Amen. If you, though, forsake the son of God's status, then you might as well forget that aspect of it. Because that was the purpose for the manifestation of the son of God. In 1 John 3, in verse 8. And be aware, be notified, you've been notified tonight that the devil will vary his tactics. Uh-huh. It might be stone to bread today and want you to worship tomorrow and protection and safety one day, but there are several others in the list that he'll use. But the essence of it all, the basis, the ground roots of it all is this. He cannot stand your son of God status because every person with that status is another testament of destruction against his works his ways his devices his practices
We bow our head in this auditorium tonight and this altar is open. Because I want us, Lord God, to be able to leave with here with our understanding of not just His Son of God's status written up in Scripture, but our Son of God's status that we live in right now if you've been born again of the water and the Spirit, you've been given power to become sons of God. And by virtue of that, you're a complexity to hell. You're a disruption to hell. Why do you think he wants you to give up so that his works can advance not just in your life but around your life but as long as you maintain your son of God status it destroys those type of intentions. There's somebody hearing me right now. Why does he want to wear out the saints of the Most High? Why does he want to do that to a church? Because if they'll all forsake their son of God status I'll do my business of what I do best. But as long as they maintain that status, they, they, dis, they despise and they dissipate my status. These altars are open this evening. Somebody needs to grab a hold of. If you were listening tonight, you need to grasp a hold of what this preacher was saying tonight. Amen. Because the hell and devil is afraid of your status. He'll come at you with different things. He'll pick at you. But the underlying mode of operation, the undercurrent to all of that that's on the surface, is he's trying to get you to denounce your status of being a son and a daughter of God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.